This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. It's the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you. How are you, Mr. Shannon? Great. How did you enjoy your week off, Bob? I had a week off? Really? Apparently, and and some people noticed. Really? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm happy for them. I'm less happy for me. <laughs> uh, but we are back and uh, we'll be at it right through uh, the end of the year. Uh, what? Here, we here have to work. This this is not just a one-off. Uh, well, no, it's it's a many-off. Okay. Uh, this is the this week marks the thirtieth, three zero, anniversary, of Toronto Sports Radio, the Fan. Um, it began in uh, nineteen ninety-two in September, just as the Blue Jays were getting ready to uh, win a, their first World Series. The Maple Leafs were uh, had, had Doug Gilmore as their captain. They won ten in a row to start that year. Mm-hmm. It was quite a launch, and I was lucky enough to be the first voice um, on the fan at 3 p.m. Um, uh, 30 years ago. And the guy who put it together from behind the scenes, he was the program director initially of the radio station and basically did all the work. Put the people in place, um, both the on-air people and the people behind the scenes. Uh, Alan Davis is now the uh program director at WGR radio in Buffalo, but he was at the fan in 1992 and Alan Davis will join us when we come back after these messages. McCowan Shannon back with you, uh, Mr. Shannon, where were you 30 years ago today? Well, I, I tell you what, I had just moved back to Toronto. Um, my wife and I, uh, and our young son were living in Minneapolis, St. Paul and I had become addicted to a radio station in the Twin Cities called KFAN. Uh, and it was uh, all sports radio. It was coming out of nowhere. And when I got to Toronto, I was saying, holy smokes, I wish there was a radio station like KFAN in Toronto. And that's a true story, Bob. And? I found, suddenly- I found at 1430. Yep. 1430. The old CKFH. I found at all sports radio station. Uh, that's where it was. And joining us today, the guy who, um, well, put this thing together more or less and was the program director for an extended period of time. He's now the uh, PD at uh, WGR in Buffalo. Alan Davis is with us. You look beautiful. How are you? I don't look as good as you, but thank you. You always <laughs> look so good. Oh, John, you look good, too. By the way, I am uh, just for the record, I am just going to step back and listen and let you two guys bullshit for the next half hour. OK, <laughs> so the reason we're the reason we're here is because 30 years ago this week, uh, the fan was launched in Toronto, the first all sports radio station in Canada. And I believe it was, Alan, the fourth uh, overall worldwide. Is that right? Uh you know, I don't know the exact number, Bob, but it was one of, yeah, it was in that area. We knew the fam was on the air. Uh, we knew that I think WIP had already launched in Philadelphia because right. that was another example that we had examined. And I, I want to say, to be honest with you guys, I think Denver was on the air too. I think Denver okay. was on the air by that time as well, so which we would have been, been K, KKFN, I think. So fourth or fifth, somewhere in that neighborhood, we, we imagine. So there was yeah. not a lot. The, the first was WFAN in New York, of course. And it went through a lot of trials and tribulations at the beginning and a lot of changes. But you were talking about when you examined stations before we committed. What were you looking for and what were you looking at? Um, well, I can, I can tell you that it was not about, it was not about, afternoon drive or talking sports it was about filling out the rest of the day part how did they do it and what did they do on the weekends and overnights because you know with you in place I felt like 
we have the anchor. We have we have everything we need to build around. And Dan Shulman was there by then. We had the play-by-play in place. Tom, Jerry, Scott was there a lot, and, and Buck Martinez was really starting to to blossom at that point. And Joe Bowen, and I think Gord was doing uh, color at that time. And you were working with Bill, so I felt like we had a lot of really good pieces. The the question was, how do you do the rest of this? And and uh, when I went to, I think we went to New York. And I got a good a good chance to see how they did it. They had board operators, they had producers, and they had executive producers. So it was really the back end. How much do we need back there? How many people do we need to have in place? Uh, and then what were they doing with content on the weekends and overnights, filling out the rest of the dance card? And then the morning show. The morning show was uh, was probably the longest conversation because those formats were still struggling with what to do in mornings mm-hmm. they you know do we go all sports in the morning or do we maybe stay more full service talk with a lot of sports in it who should be those personalities those those are still large questions eventually new york went with imus who did not do sports in the morning did you contemplate that when when they when they went with imus in the morning it was probably what saved them, I felt initially, because they were really so. Remember, Jim Lampley was in there at, sure, at one time, and they brought Pete Franklin in, and and they, you're right, they were doing a lot of different things, and 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 everybody was kind of the only the only person who had it figured out, in my view, was Tom Bigby in Philadelphia with IP. He put guys on the air and said there'll be no guests, and we're just going to do call-in radio. And as you and I had discussed forever. We will never do that. That's not something that we would do. So I kind of dismissed it a little bit. I said, I don't know about that. That's not what we're going to do. So when they brought in Imus and uh, saw what he would he was doing as a talk star, not a sports star, but just he was just people gravitated to him for for Don Imus. It convinced me to only a degree that what was going to work was strong personalities had to be in there to draw people in whether it was sports or non-sports probably didn't matter as much as long as it was a really strong personality. And we didn't have that person. We had you in the afternoon, but we didn't have that person. We did not have that person. Was there anybody, was there anybody on your list, Alan, in, in contemplating that I'm a style morning show um, that you went out and tried to pursue? No. No, John, we had Joe Cannon was doing mornings at that point, and Joe was a serious consideration, and Joe wanted to do it. Joe wanted to do it, but he really wanted to, he really wanted to prove that he could talk sports as well. Mm. And so he was, he, was, he was the person that was largely there uh, that uh, could have probably been closest to being able to do that. He was a bit of a drawing card, had a reputation in town, and had done well, could do talk. We hadn't. We did not go much further than that, though. And and in the end, we felt like we had to change everything. We felt like Joe was coming over from the old format. That was not. That's not what we wanted to communicate there. So we ended up going in another direction and brought Mike in, and and that, that didn't work. The chemistry there never worked, and it never worked for him. He's a really good play-by-play guy. Went on to do really well in Miami. Uh, but it was not for him. It just did not work. And uh, so that was our Achilles heel early on was our morning show. Well, I was Mike Inglis, who was the first morning show guy. Do you remember the rest of the lineup, though? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> well, there's a, well, the there's, there's a no. quiz. Into, uh, there's a quiz. Uh, it's a quiz. So um, it would have been Steve Simmons and Mary Ormsby after that. Oh, yeah. Danny from noon to three. And then the best hour on the radio station next to your full show. But the next hour was, was the hour that I said, that's sports radio. That's what we want. It was you and Barb and Dan for an hour. Right. And you two would just freelance for an hour. And it was the best hour on the radio. And I, every day I would come away going, that's it. If we, can, if we can do that day in and day out, this station will be really successful because you guys really – blend it really well together and you i know you had a lot of fun with that so it was it was uh, dan to uh, noon to three but you and barb and and uh and dan uh in that three o'clock area and then you took it took it from there and then i think we had mike hogan for a little while and then i put richards and rumac together right and i don't know what i did overnight i i 
do not remember what I did overnight. <laughs> I, I know I had Normie going quite late and then eventually Norm took over the full all night. Uh, yeah. But I'm not sure what I did. I may have done, we may have done some replays. I, now that I think about it, you we did. may have done some replays. Yeah, may have done you some did. replays. You repl yeah. Primetime was replayed in the morning, uh, yes. up until the morning show. Yes. For at least a yes. couple hours, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that, that, that. And then on the weekends, we still had a couple of things in place. There was a golf show that we had in place, the high school sports show. I put, um, I put Jim Richards there on Saturdays and, and he did outtakes. His show was full of outtakes, all the, uh, all the mistakes that were through the week. And it was a lot of work. I mean, with the technology you have today, he could pull that off, but he was cutting tape like crazy stuff that you would do that was off, off mic and just all kinds of things that he would put together. And it was about an hour or two on Saturdays. It was just a really a lot of fun to listen to as well. You know, you, you, you talked about uh, uh, Mike Inglis not working. You, you mentioned Pete Franklin moving from Cleveland to New York. So much of this is how people in a market trust you. Uh, and because in many ways, sports fans know more than the commentators at times. How important, how important in finding that, that chemistry for that morning guy or that guy that can under, actually understand the Toronto market? How important was that in anything you guys decided? Uh, Bob and I had a lot of conversation about that, John. It was critical, absolutely critical. It was why, in the end, we decided to do something different that was being done in the U.S. at the fan or any of the other stations, which was we were going to call out. We mm -hmm. were not going to allow call in. We did not want to leave the perception that it was going to be Montreal Jack radio, call in radio, open phones. I think that that would have been a failure. I think that the audience would not have accepted that. What we were promoting and, and what we were hopeful in demonstrating hour in and hour out is that we were going to take you to the story, whatever the, the, the latest story was for the Blue Jays, for the Leafs, or for, uh, could have been any around baseball, we were going to take you to the story. And we sold that. We, we promoted it heavily. And we did it because Bob was doing it in prime time. So basically, when, when he and I sat, it was all about how can I take what you're doing and put it in the other hours and create the same thing. So to your point, Steve Simmons and Mary Arnsby were, were critical because they had depth. Mm -hmm. They were covering sports every day. They had the contacts. They knew the stories. They knew the background. You put those two on the air and let them talk. They're able to, they're able to have and, and, and display credibility hour in and hour out. So credibility and trust were the first two things that we had to be able to display. And I think we, we did that in those daytime hours. I don't think we did it in the morning. And at night, it was fine. We had the games on and, and that you could let out a little bit and you could let, you know, Norm Rumack be Norm Rumack, for instance. You know, go ahead, yell and scream and, and be a fan and do those things. I did, certainly felt that that was appropriate and, and I enjoyed listening to it. But we had to be certain to communicate to everybody that this wasn't fly by night. We had credibility and we were going to display it every day and we were going to take you to the story. And I, and I think the guys did a really good job of doing that. Really good. With Alan Davis, first program director of the fan, it's the 30th anniversary of uh, that radio station and its launch uh, here in Canada. Um, when things started, it was September, obviously. The Blue Jays were about to win their first World Series. Um, about a month after this, the Maple Leaf season started. And if I remember correctly, they won their first 10 games mm -hmm. of the year. Uh, you could not have had a better start in terms of interest in the play-by-play -play properties. Having said that, this radio station got somewhere around 670,000 CUM audience in that first month. And I remember, I think it was from the documentary that was done about me. You said, um, somebody asked you, how, how, did, how did you get 670000 in the first month? And he said, it was, he said, well, it was very easy. The Blue Jays were winning a World Series, and the Maple Leafs won 10 in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, that was a pretty good, pretty good launch, though, wasn't it? It was fantastic. And, you know, you remember, I'm sure, back when, what was happening, and John, I'll re I remind you too, that 
we got to the point of going all sports largely because 1430 was struggling with everything but sports. You know, mm -hmm. it was really, what are we going to do with the rest of our day? And we had tried different music formats, tried different talk formats, and nothing was really resonating and connecting other than play-by-play. Uh, -play. And of course, the Blue Jays go on this run, and I'm now at the uh, network managing the content for, for the Blue Jays and the Maple Leafs, and they keep coming to me, Paul Williams and, and Len Bramson, who was key in this, and I want to go back to Len in a minute, uh, and also Don Pagnuti and others were coming and saying, we need more inventory, we need more inventory. So Bob McCallum was our more inventory. We kept, remember, we kept expanding you. We kept, and you kept coming in and go, I'll do more, I'll do more, because talking of sports, of course, was only on around the games. And then we got you to prime time, and we, we were able to keep adding that inventory. And so March 16th, when we went 5 p.m. for your show, Primetime Sports, that discussion was, we're going to have to go the whole way here because this is going to be a magical year for the Blue Jays. When are we going to do it? And, of course, September was, we've got to be ready to go by September. We've got to have everything in place by September. And we got it there. It was crazy. It was, it was, not, it was not easy. I mean, but we got it there. And, of course, the Blue Jays delivered with a wonderful – I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable what they did. And you're right. Billboard magazine named us the station of the week at one point, and I got a call from them saying, how did you do it? And that's where that comic came. Well, the <laughs> Blue Jays just won the first World Series in the history of the country. I think that had something to do with it. Hmm. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Well, you remember, well, Bob – when, uh, sorry, I just want you remember back when that was happening. I mean, you were on location a lot. We had Jay's talk in place. The new stadium was in place. I mean, we had all kinds of, of access. We were, we had all these touch points with our audience by then. And, you know, even some of the bad shows because the blue Jays were doing so well, everybody was listening anyway. Yeah, true. John. You know, you, you talk, I, I just, in, in reflecting back 30 years, uh, that's when value of play-by-play -play on radio was quite something. Value and and that and quite frankly, in the business side, and I, I know we're going to talk get all over the map here, but in the business side, that's really the biggest change, isn't it? Is the value of play-by-play -play on radio has dropped significantly, right? You know, I could argue the other way, John. I think for an all sports station to be successful today, they have all. They have, they have all these platforms that they can uh, uh, reach their audience and connect and engage. But I will tell you, if you have the play-by-play -play rights for your primary teams, you have an advantage still. You have an advantage. The value, to me, is still there. There are examples where, you know, that could that you can contradict me a little bit there. One of them is in Boston, where WEEI has the Red Sox and have had them for years. They probably overpaid for the Red Sox. And when uh, WBZ came along and got the uh, rights to the Patriots, mm -hmm. WBZ shot way up to the top. And EEI is now, I, I feel they're struggling. And part of it is they have these heavy rights fees that they're paying. So I do think that there's an argument to be, to be made there. But my belief is I still think that the rights are, are important. Well, and there was a period of time where the rights were lost. Um, yeah. And, and we had to go without them. Well, and that, well, that probably at the time, you know, Nelson and I have had that discussion, Bob, I'll show you too. That was, that was a good decision too. That wasn't a bad decision. No, I know. That was one that was made. That was a necessary decision because, you know, the other side of this is, is that I, I believed that the format was going to be successful largely because of the people that we had in place. You guys had already established a footprint. And for the most part, the, the more difficult part of it was, how do we monetize it? And, you know, you have really aggressive salespeople who were learning on the fly because everything was ratings back then. Remember, it was all about ratings. What are your ratings? What are your ratings? What are your ratings? And, and of course, we've learned over the years that sports radio sells not by ratings, but by results. And when you look at the profile of the audience, which is largely owners, professionals, and managers, it's a very desirable audience to reach and attract. You prime example you were bay street i used to say that to everybody bob's sports but he's not sports he's bay street that's what he does every day he's talking to bay street every day and if there's one thing bob can do really well is talk the business of sports and talk business he loves it it's what he does he 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 talks sports because that's 
that's sort of the the uh, the framework. But Bob McCallum loves to talk business, and it, so you were reaching Bay Street every day. Our numbers don't reflect that we have all this audience, but if you look at the quality of the audience, it's very attractive. Well, I think it took us a long time to figure that out, and that we got away from ratings and forget ratings so much. Sell the quality of your audience. That has since changed a little bit in my view, but but certainly once. The sales department figured that part of it out. I think the, the station took it off. Well, I remember you guys used to spend a lot of money on uh, quantifying the audience. Yeah. And, you know, did research groups and all kinds of, of, of stuff. And, and that's what it showed was that where we were number one was Bay Street, was the, the financial district, high income, white collar, that kind of person was, was our kind of guy. That's it. That's it. And, and, you know, they don't, they, they buy great suits. They eat at great restaurants. They buy new cars. They take great trips. They spend a lot of money on the entertainment. And, and right. so we, we, we got away from selling pure ratings and started to sell the qualitative. And the other thing that was really important to, to note there is that that audience, you were, and the station was their primary number one setting on the, on their dial. It mm -hmm. became very quickly. The, the number one setting uh, on their dial. And so we were able to market that uh, really easily after a while. And, and um, you know, the success of the teams were part of that. But I think once people figured out that, oh, this is how this works, you're going to get you're going to get an audience that's not as big in numbers as you might at other formats, but you're going to have the quality is going to be very high. And the time spent listening, which was a key part of that whole ratio, the time they spend listening is large, large. So we can reach them. Were you and part of listen, the decision? They listen to the format. Were you part of that decision-making process that moved Bob to the mornings? <laughs> That's a, this is the question, John, I was waiting for. I, <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way, I was. But Bob will remember. Here's, here's what Bob and I knew each other for quite a long time. Bob came back. I think, Bob, you came back, what, in 87, is it? 88. 88. 88. And this is why I wanted to mention Len Bramson, because the Blue Jays started to take off. And um, I had gone to the network in 86, and I had revamped the format a little bit, just, just the pre and the post, so that they could it could accommodate more inventory. And Len says, look, we probably should consider expanding our post, our pre. And Bob McCowan's back in town. He'd like to, to be involved. And, and so I met Bob and, and we, first of all, put Talking of Sports back on the air and got you established pretty quickly that way. And then you and I got talking about, do you want to do this? Do you want to expand? And we gradually got going in that direction. And then long story short, when we launched the fan, we moved primetime sports into primetime radio. Well, knowing Bob as I do, he's always in other ventures. He's always had, a, you always have your hands in other things. You always said, hey, come see what I'm doing with cards and all kinds of things. Well, over the period of time that I got to know the Bob, he would come in and sit down, John, and he'd say, you know, I could do mornings. I could do mornings. So I could do mornings tomorrow for you if you want. I'd like to do mornings. He used to say that, but we were music then. But he wanted to be a music jock too. He, he, he enjoyed those things as well. I could do that. I could do it. I'd like to do it. I want to do mornings. And part of the reason was, I think, you know, he had established primetime sports. He had become this hit. And I think some days he's coming in. Yeah. So what, what, what's next? What am I going to do next? Well, mornings was kind of one of those things next. That's how I, that's how I think it got there. But out of desperation too, there was, we got to do something here. I never wanted Bob to go to mornings and it's on your, your celebration of your career. I made sure that I said, no, I did not want Bob McCallum to go to mornings. I was against it all along. I felt that he needed to stay right where he is. But well, your friend, you, your good God, friend, John, your good friend, John Ray had a different ideas because Ray yeah. was, was pitching me and he was pitching Dan Schulman at the same time, apparently. And neither one of us would do the, take the job. And then Ray, I'll tell the story one time, Ray took me out to dinner at a little Italian place yeah. on Mount Pleasant. And we sat down and he, he like no hors d'oeuvres, no glass of wine, no nothing. Just sat down and he said, he, he pulled a piece of paper and a pen out of his uh, jacket, slammed it on the table. And he said, write down what you want to do the morning show. And I said, I'm not going to do that, John. I don't want to do the morning show. I don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm fine where I am right now. He said, write down what you want to do the morning show. 
And so I, oh, for Christ's sake. And so I wrote down the number and I slid the paper back across and he took a look at it and he looked at me and he looked at the paper. He looked at me, he looked at the paper and he said, put the paper down, reached out with his hand and he said, congratulations, you're the new morning show host. <laughs> and my, and, and you want to know what I said under my breath? I said, ah, oh, shit, too low. Shit. <laughs> and, you, and you were. And, I thought you know, I thought the number that I wrote down they would never go for. So John, John and I talked, and I mean, uh, when John left that station, missed John Ray. But uh, when John and I talked, he uh, we did have Dan, and my oh, argument yeah. back was Dan's an incredibly gifted talent, and he he he'll have all the information. He'll do uh, a great interview. He'll take calls. He has a bright future. I said, but Bob, people tune in to hear what Bob has to say. And they're not going to tune in right away to hear what Dan has to say. And that's nothing against Dan or anybody else. It was, they're going to tune in because it's primetime sports and they know they're going to go to the story and we're going to still have the same format. But it's not the same because people were tuning in. Bay Street was tuning in, not just to get the story. They were tuning in to hear what you had to say about anything. Well, that's that, very kind. That, 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 that was where I came from. And I said, I know we're in trouble in the mornings and I love Dan, but I think if we make this move, we're making two moves and I'm just not convinced that we're, it's going to last because Bob in the morning is not going to be the same as the guy in the afternoon. Well, it's very kind, but he also, Dan also had shaky. Don't forget beside him, who was a big personality at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. He did. He did. And then listen, Dan Shulman, one of the best ever there's you betcha. Absolutely. But, but, but at that time, Dan, Dan wasn't crazy about doing the afternoon show either. Remember that he didn't want to go to the mornings and he wasn't crazy about taking your spot either. He, you know, Dan was fine. He knew he had lots of things, lots of irons in the fire. So he had options and, uh, yeah, he wasn't crazy about doing either of them. He was fine where he was, to be honest. And But um, John, a long way around to answer your question, yeah, I guess to some degree I was I was a part of it. <laughs> I, as, an, as an aside, uh, Danny was doing that radio show for you guys, uh, noon to three, and I hired him to do uh, the Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway, based on that. Uh, and, and he did a marvelous job. He did, he did hockey play-by-play before he did baseball play-by-play for the record. Uh, and he was, he he's such a great, he's such a, a great broadcaster. The, the thing about Bob's morning show, again, as a consumer, uh, because I was uh, working for a network and was not in radio or TV at all on the air, is I loved Bob's, I did like Bob in the morning, but I really liked Bob's show from nine to 10 because it was never about sports. It was about, what would you describe it, Bob? Lifestyle? Yeah, it was, um, it was, music artists it was um actors yeah it was, it was much more fun i didn't because i don't care about anybody's opinion about sports but you you guys had something compelling going from nine to ten every morning well if you think of the the guests that we had from nine to ten it was uh it really was pretty well-rounded everybody from jim brown in studio to peter mansbridge in studio um you know that started our relationship with pete um, up and down, uh, Gordon Lightfoot in studio. Mm. Um, you know, we did an awful lot of different things in there and we tried to bring some sports into it. All these guys were all sports fans to some degree, but, um, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was different. I, I do want to say this because there's been a lot said about that morning show having failed. And that really isn't true because that morning show had the best ratings it had had up until that point. Um, it was other, there were other reasons why that move was made and it was not entirely because of, uh, it, well, it wasn't at all because of the ratings. Well, you can't tell us the reasons. Yeah. They wanted me out. They want, uh, (laughs) no, it, it had nothing, it had nothing to do with ratings. And, uh, I think that the hope was that, um, everything that had been established and the success that was being realized in the afternoons. We just take it to the mornings and the show was, the show was Bob McCown. It's still Bob McCown. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It's still Bob, 
But I think that the, the reality is that the rest of the radio station was not going to be able to be successful with that, with that long term. And it, it, that's a lot. I mean, the, the decisions that were being made were based on how, how, do, we, how do we make a profit here? Remember the, the company, oh. Telemedia, at that time, you know, it's a little bit of desperation meets opportunity because 1430 was a signal that was suspect in many ways. Um, you had, it was Foster Hewitt's radio station, and there were these, uh, what, four or five different attempts at different formats that weren't working. And it got to a point where what the heck are we going to do? And, mm -hmm. and we finally got to, well, here's what we've got left. We've got the Blue Jays starting to win baseball games. We've got Bob McCowan, who keeps attracting an audience, and we keep expanding it, and that keeps working. And Leslie Soule basically said, well, we should probably consider going the whole way then. Change the whole audience over and go the whole way. And for telemedia, eventually, with desperation meeting opportunity, they finally said, well, we might as well try that. Well, once we launched the radio station and they saw that you had taken basically some of those hours and you had four people now producing in those hours. You had two talents, you had a producer, you had a board op. The expenses were very high. Yeah. And so yeah. a lot of what was happening there was, well, we're struggling in mornings. Let's put Bob in mornings. Let's put Dan in the afternoon because Dan certainly could do primetime sports. And we could probably we could probably save our station if we put Bob in the morning. There was a lot of logic to that. Wouldn't argue that. My point always has been that I understand that. But sports radio is driven from afternoons, not from mornings. It's driven from right. afternoons, not from mornings. Not How from close mornings. did you come to closing down? I, I, and the reason I ask that is that uh, people that, uh, that started TSN will tell you uh, ultimate stories about drive, having to drive to London to Labatt to convince them to give them a bit more money in the first three years. Uh, how many times in that first three years did, did, did telemedia say, okay, we've had enough? You know, that wouldn't be something that I know. Uh, it never got down, to, never got down to my level. Uh, I would assume that those conversations were going on pretty aggressively at one point, John. I mean, uh, Lem Bramson uh, had an awful lot to do with, I think, getting the fan on the air, getting it approved at the very senior level. Lem Bramson had an awful lot to do with that. And Len was, was someone who was a, a bit of a visionary when it came to broadcast and had a lot of respect for him because he was in, he was in my corner, he was in Bob's corner, he, he was in the, the corner of, of, of let's, let's go. But he also then had to fight the battles of how do we pay for this thing? And I know that there were a lot of things going on with telemedia that were beyond the fan at that point. The, the telemedia owned... Canadian Living Magazine and TV Guide at that time. And so there were struggles other places in the, in the company. It wasn't just the fan. So how often they might have gone to Labatt or how often they might have done, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I, I didn't know. My, my focus was solely on what was coming out of the, out of the speakers day in and day out. And right. there, were, there, were, there were definitely issues. And, you know, I wasn't made aware of it. You know, I, I, I was surprised when John was let go because John Ray, John, next to Len, I would say John Ray was just such a, such a gentleman to work for. He, he, was, he was behind our, our, our decisions. If Bob or I or somebody wanted to do something, John would challenge you. But once he bought it, he was behind you 110%. And we lost that. We lost that. It was never replaced. John was not replaced. He, he was just gone. And so from 19, you know, what the year of 93 was very challenging for us because we didn't have, we lost part of the rudder. And I think, and it was during that time, John, that probably <laughs> there were drives to <laughs> Labatt or wherever. I, yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, we know. got, we got to take a break here, Alan. Um, Alan Davis is with us. The uh, first program director of uh, the fan. They uh, celebrate their 30th anniversary this week. Take a break. Come back after these messages. McCown, Shannon, Alan Davis is with us. The uh, former program director of The Fan in Toronto is the 30th anniversary of that radio station. Alan now runs uh, WGR in, uh, in Buffalo. A couple of things. Number one, how long did you wind up staying? When did you leave The Fan? Uh, I left the company in 97. I left The Fan and went back to the network 
in 94, 94. Okay. So I was there for two full years and maybe a little bit. And then went, uh, when did the baseball strike in the, the lockdown? 94. That was 95, 94, 95, 94, 94. Yeah. So I, I was, yeah, I was back in the network by that, back in the network by that. Were you there for the sports babe? Uh, no, that was after. Yeah. I think that I had left and this was when, uh, you brought ESPN in and the sports babe, is that what you're saying? Yeah. They brought ESP. They brought the sports babe in, um, to do, I think it was late morning, mm-hmm. uh, like nine to noon or 10 to noon or something like yeah, that. Yeah. That was after, that was after me. That was after me. Yeah. yeah. Would, would you have made that move? Do you think? No, no. I, that's my, I would have fought for local, local, local all the time. People in Toronto aren't going to listen to the sports bay from nine to noon. If there's a leaf story out there and she's not going to talk about the Leafs. I've, you know, I, I had this conversation with, you know, I had this conversation with a Colin coward, uh, who is, you know, done very well as a network, uh, a show with, with premier and he's on in Buffalo and I've known Colin for years. I worked with him out in, on the West coast. And I told him one day, I said, Bob, or uh, Colin, you don't talk hockey. Yeah, no, well, my audience doesn't want to listen to hockey. And I said, I agree. Totally agree. But that's why I can't have you on in Buffalo. And he got upset. And I'm going, if you don't want to talk about the Sabres, or if you don't want to talk about the things in the NHL, then you're wasting three hours of my time here. And uh, so Good we point. were able to get away from that. We were able to get away from that. And no, I, I, I know the babe. I worked Bob with the babe down in, in Tampa when I was there. Love <laughs> the babe. But no, I wouldn't have done that. No. No. Uh, toughest change you ever had to make at the fan. <clears throat> I know there were, there were changes in format. There were changes in programming. Uh, when, after it became the fan, um, you had to make some tough decisions. Which ones were the toughest? Well, you know, I, the on-air, the on-air change in the morning show was really challenging because it wasn't working. And, you know, Joe Bowen and I have known each other since the seventies and, you know, he was part of that and such a, such a great play-by-play guy and such an over the top personality, but having the conversation with him that we were going to move him out of that morning show was, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to have that conversation, but that was a necessary conversation for sure. And I'll tell you another one uh, behind the scenes with Joe Thistle. Joe Thistle worked so hard and we got ourselves into a situation where we had to make some cuts. And I, I dreaded that decision and, and having, to, having to, to talk to him about that for a long time because he was the type of person that the fan really needed because mm-hmm. he loved sports. He knew sports really well and of course he's gone on and done really well so i'm you know but that at that time bob that was that was really really challenging um you know i knew i was going to lose dan eventually we were going to lose dan because a week after we had basically launched the whole thing espm were already talking to him john shannon knew you know people knew who dan was Mm -hmm. pretty quickly so those types of decisions didn't bother me um the entrepreneur that you are, any decisions that we had to make, you were always professional, a businessman. So there were, you and I never really had those decisions, but the behind the scenes decisions and some of those changes I've always, yeah, those are the two answering that question. Those would be the two that bothered me the most. You know, the, uh, the business seems to be much different in the United States than it is in Canada. I, I, w- I would actually say s- sports radio and Bob, you can disagree with me if you want, but uh, I think it's on life support in our country and some level of life support across the country. But it, where is it, do you think, in the U.S.? Um, the company I work for now, John Odyssey, uh, is pouring millions of dollars into sports radio mm-hmm. and into the, into the platform in general. Uh, we see it entirely differently. It's, it's one of the most engaging formats. Uh, it holds an audience. It has touch points with technology that are far surpassing uh, other than talk. Uh, and I would say that sports, sports is exploding. You can't, you can't and this is go, goes back to rights. We're also very strategic as a company to acquire rights where, wherever we can, to have those partnerships, to have those mm-hmm. relationships. 
because we're, we're developing content for all for multiple platforms now it's not just what's over the air over the air is still a critical part of the social uh component um but when you look at twitter um you know our radio station now has over 150,000 followers i have personalities john you know many of them you're on with us frequently mm-hmm. who have over a hundred thousand followers um and we're monetizing it and we're, we're podcasting at a voracious rate right now um and and bob figured that out thank goodness and and so yeah sports radio here is is really fertile ground you know and i think in canada it's still fertile ground i think they just got to get they they got to figure out a couple of things and and someone needs to someone needs to have passion Someone, someone at a senior level needs to have passion again. I, I just, I don't hear passion. I hear, I hear some personalities with passion, but I, I'm not sure I'm hearing it at the higher levels. So are you, a, do you view yourself more as a, a pure content provider as opposed to a radio station now? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you have to be. Uh, the, 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 the personalities we have on the air from Howard and Jeremy and, and Mike and Chris and all the guys, they write for the website. Um, Sal does a podcast called, you know, it's always game day in Buffalo. Jeremy is getting ready to do a podcast. Mike Shope is heavy in fant- uh, fantasy. Right. And so, yes, we are, we are providing content for all platforms. Uh, that's what we do. We are content providers. Correct. Well, if I can just throw my two cents in here, and I'm intrigued by what Alan thinks of this. You know, you essentially got out of it before you had to contemplate the development of talent, the next wave of on-air personalities. I I think the biggest problem is that we did not spend, or management, quite frankly, did not spend enough time uh, or energy in developing that talent and developing it in a in the way that it needed to be developed. It needed to be big personalities. It did not need to be small personalities. And the intriguing, excuse me, thing is, there were a lot of big personalities in the early days. I mean, Simmons was a big personality. A lot of people didn't yes. like him. A lot of people still don't like him. But he, was, he, he had a big personality. He'd tell you what he thought. And if when I look at sports radio today, that's what I think it's missing. It's missing somebody who really takes the bull by the horns and tells you, all right, enough fucking around here. This is the shit that's going on right now, right here. There's just not that much of it out there in Toronto and probably in Canada. Your thoughts on that? I, I, I think that's true. I think that uh, developing talent back when we first started. Keep in mind that, you know, as you you recall, this was, you know, it was uh, a green pasture out there, fertile, and let's go get it. And you were trying to bring people in that had bigger personalities mm-hmm. because sure you did. we were trying to, we were, tra- yeah, we were trying to establish going back. We were trying to establish credibility. It was so critical to establish credibility. We needed bigger personalities. We had to make sure that when somebody tuned into the radio station, they were listening to somebody who knew what the hell they were talking about and that they knew it because they were connected and that they were covering these stories. It was critical at that point. And you're, and, and to me, Steve Simmons is a perfect example of that. When you, when you take a look at maybe the next wave that came through, there were less and less of those as we started to fill out the hours with kids who just love to talk sports. Well, I've always said, I'm not in the sports business. I'm in the broadcast business. Correct. We happen to choose sports as the format, but we're broadcasters. We have to hold an audience. Our, our goal here is to hold an audience as long as we can and create compelling content. And that's where I think I'm saying that the passion at the next level is not, I don't hear it. I don't I hear agree with passion you, Alan. at the next level. I don't hear that. Because if, there, if you have a Lem Bramson, you have a Nelson Millman, you have people like that who have that passion, they're going to make sure that they make those mm-hmm. changes. They're going to make sure that those things happen. Right now, it's an hour in, hour out. We're talking this, and, 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 and the formatics don't work. The formatics have to change, in, in my view. I changed, and I think the formatics have changed. Once I got to the U.S. and I started working with some radio stations down here, and technology came along, the connection to the audience became the most important thing. 
The engagement with the audience became the most important thing and you had to change the way you were doing it. It was not good enough anymore just to open up the microphone and let's get a guest on to talk soccer. And then in the next segment, we're going to talk basketball. And don't forget, we got so-and-so coming up. Not compelling at all. What was compelling was a host who was able to take a topic, offer an opinion, defend that opinion, and engage an audience regardless of what their opinions were and hold them. And, I've, and, and that's what I teach. That's what I teach. You have to be able, I don't care who you, who you interview. Don't send me a tape of an interview because I don't want to hear you. Anybody can talk to somebody, but someone who can engage an audience and hold them with conversation, good conversation, that's, that's the trick. And, you know, Peter Mansford's talked about it. He, he talked about it on your, on your celebratory uh, podcast that he talked about it. He, he knew every, the real, the good ones know. That if you're gonna, if you want me to stay and come back for more occasions, the personality does it. You can get by with winning teams. You can get by with I've got to find out what the latest story is. You can't hold them with the latest story. It's engaging conversation. And frankly, when I listen to some of the radio in Toronto, I'm not engaged. There's one show I am engaged with because I think they're fun to listen to. But other than that, I'm not really, I'm not really engaged. Shannon, you had something else. <laughs> So uh, are you going to tell us what the show is? You guys, it, it would be it would be the show on TSN. Yeah, Jeff O'Neill does an amazing job there. Jeff O'Neill's the Jeff O'Neill's a person. He's a personality that yeah. you have to, you know, Bob. You could you could not contain Bob, right? The, and, You're and telling love, me, <laughs> right? Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. But here's here's who I've I've had the pleasure of of in addition to Bob. You know, I got I got introduced because I got the chance to work with Bob and and. And so working with Bob means he takes, he's got all the leash. You just have to make sure you got it tethered a little bit at some point along the way, but let him lead you and, and you'll be fine. So it was like I had to wake up every day and say, so let's make sure I talk to Bob and he's on track with what we're talking about. I, I didn't have to have that. When I, when I worked with Colin Coward, I said to Colin, you and I are going to have two conversations. The one is going to be at 6.05 when I turn the radio on and you're there. The second one is when I see you leaving the parking lot because you work in television and we wave. Those are the only mm -hmm. two conversations I'm going to have to have with you because you know what you're doing. You're really good at it. I hired a kid out of Syracuse who was from Kansas City when I was in Kansas City. And, you know, Nick Wright is now working for Fox. Mm -hmm. I hired him right out of Syracuse, out of Newhouse, and I brought him to the radio station. And because he had the talent. He's, he's talking about what Bob's talking about. It's talking about you have to have really good talent. You don't, you, you don't want to hire people simply because they love sports. There are people coming into our industry, well, I want to work for the radio station. And I go, well, we talk sports, but uh, we're looking for personalities. We're looking for people who can touch, plays, touch the touch points and engage with people on all platforms. And that's the hardest part. They're not everywhere. They're simply not everywhere. It's why one person shows quite often don't work. You have mm -hmm. to have multiple personalities, which I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I love the round tables. I mean, we started the round table. I love the round tables. I love the, I used to love the Friday round tables. I love primetime sports for, for all the things that it, it was. I, I was very proud of, of what was coming out of there, but it's hard to duplicate that. It's hard to consistently duplicate that. Um, you know, we could sit here and chat for forever and ever. Amen. Uh, but, um, life goes on and we have other things to do. And by the way, that last 10 minutes, Bob, I'm clipping and sending to all my students. The um, last 10 minutes is, was as, as good as we're going to get about what, what it takes to be in this business. Thanks, Alan. Uh, well Thank you, said. John. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate Mr. It. Uh, Davis, um, you look beautiful. I love you. You know that. Uh, I've loved you for a lot of years, and uh, I miss seeing you, and hopefully we will get together at some point before we both die, which <laughs> yeah. is yeah. Well, Bob, probably more closer to imminent than anything you, you else. You, you guys live life. an hour apart. You live an hour apart. I know. It's a pile of shit, but we're going to figure it out. But he's, not, he's not allowed in my country, and I'm not allowed back in ours. So, you know, that's what happened there, John. Well, we'll, 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 listen, we'll meet at Niagara Falls. We'll meet at Table Rock, okay? <laughs> we'll figure it out. I, I, uh, I wanted to make your celebration of, uh, of primetime so bad, and I, I couldn't. And, uh, but I watched everything. I loved it all. 
Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for all you guys for what you do. John, I appreciate you coming on with Howard and Jeremy and the guys from WGR and they compliment you all the time because you're so easy to work with and it's just fantastic. So I appreciate you guys reaching out to me very much. Thanks pal for joining us. Anything I can do, let me know. Happy to help. Okay. Send me some wine. Wine would be good. All right. <laughs> keep, keep an eye on your uh, mailbox. <laughs> or don't whichever the case may be uh alan davis we'll come back and wrap after this message uh we're back and again our thanks sincerely to alan davis uh, for being with us um <laughs> he he knows no short sentences and i love him dearly and it's been a it's been a long time long time since i've seen him but boy he looks the same man yeah looks exactly the same as he always has you know, and, and he talked about something that you could hear and see in his voice, and that was passion. He loves this business and, uh, and obviously loves what sports radio can do. And maybe, maybe, it's not, uh, uh, maybe it's not a good idea to call it sports radio anymore, but he loves being a sports content provider because that's what seems to have happened. And I think if you analyze where the business is going, it's more than just putting a signal out on a on an AM or an FM position on the dial. Part of the difference, you know, when you look at today versus 30 years ago, we didn't have all the social media that we do today. And the social media effectively competes with the broadcasting. Sure. Rather um, than com- ra- and cuz initially everybody thought it would complement. But quite now the it opposite. competes. Now it, it competes. It absolutely competes. Yeah. But it also makes it difficult. I mean, you've got to have strong personalities. And honestly, this industry has failed over the last 30 years in providing that nucleus of new yeah. talent. You, you know, it's funny you talk about that. Strong personalities, you're right. And, and now, even more so, is you have to have thicker skin. You have to have thicker skin. And you have to be able to stick with what you believe in because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get skewered and barbecued on social media when you do it. But this industry has failed to put people in place to train the next wave. And we are past the first wave and um, it's hard to find people to listen to. That's, that's all I'll say about that. In any event, we thank Alan very much for uh, taking the time to uh, chat with us today. Uh, we got to get out of here. Thank you, Mr. Shannon. Baseball uh, for- tomorrow. Baseball tomorrow. Good. Mm-hmm. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.